Well, good morning again. I don't know wh- where this came from, but this was in my pants this morning. I was going to come up with that on, but I don't know where it came from, but I look like Davis. This was in my uh, pants this morning. I don't know where. I was going to put that on. Yeah. I don't know. Who knows? I got kids, so probably came from that. Well, today, speaking of kids, we get to look at one of the favorite um, children's stories, really, from children's Bibles that you've looked at probably maybe with your kids or and really it's a favorite story of all Christians I think because it's such a dramatic story the story of Jesus calming the storm Um, the story of Jesus calming a great storm of wind and waves and so this morning we are going to we're going to go on a, a journey with Christ and these disciples in the boat to formulate what I'm calling a storm theology a storm theology now What do I mean by that? Well, a couple questions. How do you weather, how do you go through the metaphorical storms of your life? What do you do? How do you survive a great uh, trial in your life? What happens in the midst of it for you? Or uh, even deeper question, how do you view God in the middle of it? How do you view God in the middle of your trials and your sufferings? Specifically, even as the crisis for the disciples was, Uh, the story here of their impending death, they thought. Their impending death. They thought they were going to die. Maybe even had a moment like that. A storm theology, we want to this morning have a proper view of the one in the boat with them. That's our goal. That's our hope. That's really what this story is about. A storm theology that helps us respond to Jesus rightly, the one in the boat, whether we face calm seas, calm times of life, or a violent storm season of life. At the same time, as we talk about this story, there's probably been no other story uh, that's been, um, as you look at the Bible, improperly applied, or maybe so poorly applied as this one. The story today is not just this, that Jesus is going to get you through the storms of your life, even as we talk about those storms. It's not just as if the point of this story was just uh, Jesus will help you grin and bear suffering because he'll help you make it through the end, or or maybe he won't let you even go through it. Sometimes the story's been applied. Uh, Just follow Jesus, and uh, he'll take care of it all and take care all the suffering out of your life. He does get us through trials. We're going to talk about that. But more than that, this story is less about the waves and more about the one in the boat with them. That's what we're going to see this morning. In whom we put our faith, Jesus Christ. That is what this story is about. Because as we think about it, that's actually what ends up helping us weather our own storms. And actually even see them as God-ordained opportunities. To exercise faith and trust. Not in our own ability to persevere or our own... uh, uh, a, a smart, smarting our way out of something, our own intelligence, but faith and trust in who Jesus really is. The sovereign Lord who loves us. That's what this story's about. The sovereign Lord who loves us. In this passage, Mark wants us to look both at the amazing display of Jesus' humanity and His divinity and His power, and His love. And the result for us this morning is going to be a realization that we have a resource necessary for us 
as we face our own trials and storms of life. And that resource is the object of our faith. The object of our faith. Not the strength of our faith even. The object of our faith is the resource, Jesus Christ. So that's where we're going to go today. So grab that outline. Hopefully you've got it in front of you there. If you'd like to do fill-ins to help you follow along, and there's some uh, life group questions there on the back for our week nine, our last week of this quarter for our life groups. As we're going to look today at really three clarifying facts of storm theology. Okay, Three clarifying facts of storm theology. Here's the first one. God works through our circumstances, and He works through our storms. God works through our circumstances, and he works through our storms. That's the first one. We're moving into this section of Mark where, where Mark wants us to see the power of, of Jesus as a miracle worker now. We'll get this section over the next coming weeks, actually. Uh, his power over nature. His power over the demonic and the spiritual realm we're going to see. His power over life. His power even over death we're going to look at and over sickness in the coming weeks. And this account that we have today, do you remember way back when we first uh, started the Gospel of Mark? Uh, Mark is recording Peter's eyewitness accounts. So Peter is the eyewitness who's passed on his stories to Mark. So Peter is the source for Mark. And what's interesting when you look at this story is that it is filled with incredible detail. But if you look at that detail, it's sort of irrelevant detail. Did you catch some of those as, as Lauren was reading it for us? Or as you know this passage, as you look down at it now, it's filled with kind of just mundane details. But that's actually really important. You might just read it and go, well, Jesus had his head on a pillow. Does that really matter? It's actually really important. Here's why. Because scholars have no idea how to explain why those details of the story are in there. Why is that? People didn't write that way at this time. They did not write that way at this time. When you told a story at this time, uh, you know, whether it was historical or fiction, you only put things in there uh, that moved the plot along or the character along. You did not put little details in there like we would understand. You've read a novel before, and they put little details in there to make it seem real and to put the little just even mundane details. They didn't write like that. We didn't write like that until almost the 1800s. It just didn't happen. You would not write that way. A story wouldn't have been told that way. Here were some of the details. Jesus puts his head on a pillow. Okay? Uh, it wasn't just the one boat. There were multiple boats following. Uh, you put in the embarrassing lack of faith of Jesus' followers. All these details. Why? It's a first-hand account. This was somebody remembering it and passing it on to Mark to write down. So either Mark created a, uh, a genre of writing that doesn't exist for another you know, almost 2,000 years after this, or it's actually an eyewitness account. That's why scholars struggle with these little details. They have no idea. They have no idea what to do with it. It's a first-hand account, which is what I think. So let's look at God working through a real first-hand account. Some real circumstances in this storm. Look at verse 35 for me. We've got a short passage, so we can reread portions today. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, that's Jesus, let's go across to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on 
the cushion. So kind of our setting. It's what's happening. Here's the little details of this story. It's the end of a long day. A really long day. In fact, it started, uh, well, like three or four weeks ago with us in the passage where uh, the Pharisees accused him in chapter 3 of being in, in cahoots with the devil and working for the devil. It, the day went on. Remember, do you remember uh, his family came and tried to kidnap him because they thought he was insane and out of his mind? This is the same day now. Uh, the crowds came around in chapter 4 a couple weeks ago and he taught the parables to them. And then finally... We get to the end of this one day. And Jesus is absolutely exhausted. The passage starts with, on that day, when it was finally coming to nighttime, evening had come. And we get a great picture of Jesus' real now, real humanity. He has this request, and it's urgent actually in the original language. Let's get out of here. Let's get in a boat and get to the other side. Maybe Jesus had hit the wall. Have you ever hit the wall? Every day I feel something. I hit the wall. I've hit the wall. Yeah, you feel that. You know what that is. You hit the wall, so to speak. So tired, you're kind of, you need toothpicks. You just can't keep your eyes open. I think Jesus in his real humanity was exhausted. Exhausted. Think of the mental power and the physical uh, strength to go through a day like that. Reasoning with the Pharisees, reasoning with his families, reasoning with the crowds, explaining things to his apostles, the disciples, and then finally, can we just get in a boat and get to the other side of the lake? I think he was showing his real humanity there. Let us go across the other side, he says, he requests. He leads them, now, he leads them into the boat, across the sea. But even then, we hear in the passage, a, a group of boats follows. I, I had forgotten that little detail. They weren't alone in this whole storm thing. Uh, a flotilla, I think that's what it's called, a group of boats kind of traveling together across the sea. He just can't get away. Even when he goes out in the middle of the sea, he cannot get away. And what happens? Well, Sea of Galilee is about 700 feet below sea level with mountains and ravines surrounding it, making it really the perfect environment for great storms. At 700 feet below sea level, there's these mountains that surround it, and the cold air from the tops of the mountains rushes through these ravines that go down to the sea where there's warm air. And so right around that sea, the cold air and the warm air come together, and they rush together, and they, it's prone and known to have great storms on the Sea of Galilee. We're not talking a little pond. We're talking a sea. Massive body of water. And verse 37 says, A great, a great windstorm arose. Imagine now for a moment. We're there with them. One of the boats maybe next to them following along. These are fishermen. They have had great experiences with storms. Probably their whole life. But this one causes them to say, we are going to die. And all their life, this is the one. We're going to die. We are going to die. The waves are crashing over the boat, the side. Scripture records. The boat is filling up, possibly beginning to, to sink a little bit. And they are terrified. I mean, it is a great metaphor for our life, isn't it? It is at times. Or the church's life together in the boat. Think about our life together, Bethany Church. Uh, being in a boat together. 
being there. And at times, doesn't it feel like the waves are coming over the side and waters begin to creep up past your calf towards your knee? You're like, oh, this is not good. (laughs) This is not good. Entering into trials. Finding yourself feeling like they did that as if life is over. Worrying. Anxiety. Panicking over the details. We all do this. You do this. I do this. The storm is filling up the boat. And usually I respond kind of like them. God, do you care? I'm going to die. This is only going to get worse. It's not going to get better. This is going to happen, then that's going to happen, then that's going to happen, and I'm going to end up defeated or maybe even dead, right? Doesn't your train of thought kind of go there? God, do you care? Where are you, God? Are you asleep (laughs) at the wheel? Well, in this case, he was asleep. Jesus was asleep. (laughs) So we'll we'll talk about that. We'll get there. (laughs) He kind of was, but uh, but you think, you know, you had this thought that he was caught off guard, that God's caught off guard. No. We're going to see that in a few minutes. Jesus is not caught off guard. He doesn't end up waking up saying, why'd you take why'd you wait so long to wake me up disciples why didn't you wake up earlier what what's you guys are crazy you should have let me know about this in fact here's the point jesus is the one that led them into the boat jesus is the one that suggested let's go across the sea jesus knew exactly where they were going remember he said it let's get in the boat guys and cross the sea It's not an accident. He takes them right into it. It's not an accident. He leads them right into this moment. God even, you might even say, creates this trial or ordains it, you might say. He's orchestrating the entire thing. Jesus started the process. And he's tired of his humanity. But but in his divinity, he knows exactly what's going to happen. He knows where they're going. He's not surprised when they wake him up. He's orchestrating the entire thing, and here's what that means for us. We shouldn't be surprised by surprises. By, by, by freak storms, you might call them, in our life. And in fact, those are the very places many times God leads us to show us who we are and who He is. And that's what He's doing right here for the disciples. Because it's in those desperate moments, is it not for you? Those trials where we finally realize again the control I thought I had, I don't have. And the brilliant plan I thought I had crafted is unraveling. This is the moment for the disciples. It's a moment where God brings them to the end of themselves and the beginning of trusting Him as Savior and Lord. That's what's happening here. The storm is just the vehicle. The storm is just the vehicle. It's just the circumstance for God's display of power and saving for them. Without it, without Him, He's showing them, you're lost in this moment. Without me, He says, you're lost. The storm was the vehicle for that. The trial you go through is the vehicle for that. I like how uh, Dan Aiken says, if He does not act, especially in this moment with the disciples we see in our moment, We will not be saved. Would you really want it any other way? Faith answers a resounding no. Those are those moments. 
He has to act. He has to save. And do we ask ourselves that question? Do we really? Do you really think you can ultimately save yourself? Disciples knew in this moment they couldn't. Those storms are the moments, those moments when you go, I am a, I, I, I'm a bit out of my league here. <laughs> I'm a bit overwhelmed here. I'm a bit flooded here. Do you really think you did save yourself? God was using these circumstances. He's using your circumstances over and over again. Why? Because we need it over and over again to show us that He is the one who saves us. He's the one to rely on. He's the one we have to trust when the boat is sinking. I love how Jesus is responding here. Jesus is responding the way they should be responding. (laughs) He's asleep. He's asleep in the midst of the storm. Why is that? He's peaceful. The waves are crashing and, 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 and flowing over the side. Why is that? I think it's because, was there anybody that ever had more perfect faith in the Father? No. He's able to have peace in that moment. He knows and trusts the Father. He's the, the Father's Son. He knows it, and so he's peaceful. He knows that every one of those disciples in that boat is absolutely safe until God says, your time has come. He knows it. Our time will not come until he says, it's your time. And Jesus knows that. And he trusts that, so he's able to sleep in the middle of a storm. The worst storm, a great storm, the Bible says. But what we see with the disciples is sort of our normal reaction, isn't it? We see Jesus reacting as one who has perfect faith in God. We see the disciples reacting the way you and I tend to respond to storms. And we sympathize, sympathize with them, don't you? I mean, I sympathize with them. They begin to panic and doubt even though God is about to work in the middle of their storm. Points us to our second fact of storm theology. If the first one was that he works through circumstances and storms of our life, the second one is our fear in the middle of those. Our fear in the midst of the storm sometimes points to our misplaced faith. Our misplaced faith. They think they're going to die. That's what we get here. They think they're going to die. Look at 38. We'll pick up in verse 38 there. Uh, Second half of that verse. Jesus is asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? We're going to die. And he woke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm, and he said to them, Why are you so afraid? When I was 15 years old, I uh, had moved to Southern California, I guess four or five years before that, maybe three or four years before that, and it'd been, you know, you move to Southern California as a kid, and you just pick up on the beach culture, and you think, well, I'll just, you know, go to the beach, and it's there, and it's warm, and so started going, but it was a few years after living there that I thought, yeah, I should try to pick up this thing surfing that everybody's doing. <laughs> Time to learn how to surf. You know, I was, you know, a guy that was, did sports and stuff. So I was, you know, I could do this. I can get up and do that. And so I went out at this beach with some buddies of mine. They said, oh, take a, this big giant long board. You know, they have shorter boards than longer boards. Take this big long board and go out. You'll be fine. You know, it's no big deal. We'll, we'll be out there with you. So we go out. Waves are real tiny. It's like, oh, this is a great day for this. 
10, 15 minutes later, these giant sets of waves start pounding the ocean. And if you've ever surfed or watched surf, if you're on a little shortboard, you can kind of just duck under the waves really easy. A longboard doesn't sink so easily, I found out. Uh, I was like a sitting uh, duck, I guess you could say, on the top of the water. And I just kept getting pounded. Wave after wave after wave. I started getting more tired. The board was, I did, the board was connected to my leg. I don't know if that's wise, actually, but it was. And getting yanked back. So I was getting yanked under every couple minutes by the board that was getting pulled back. And so I finally said, I got to ditch this board. It floats. I don't. Uh, so that maybe wasn't the best decision, but I did. I ditched it and was absolutely exhausted. And there was a moment where my mind started to panic. I said, I don't know if I'm going to make it back to shore. I was that exhausted. I don't know if I'm going to make this. You know, by the grace of God, whatever, a second wind or something, I was able to. But I was absolutely panicked there for a few moments. I might die. That's the level of panic we're seeing with the disciples here. We might die. This boat goes under. Maybe some of them didn't even know how to swim or that well. And if the waves were giant in the middle of the ocean, that's the level of panic they were feeling. And Jesus says to them, why are you so afraid? Can you imagine the audacity of Jesus to say something like that in the middle of that moment? Why are you so afraid? They're about to die. The audacity of Jesus. The boldness of Jesus. Can you imagine the disciples' minds? What? Why were we afraid? We're, we're on death's doorstep, Jesus. You know this boat. You know, Peter's a good fisherman, but boat maker, I mean, yeah, he's, you know. They're like, they're, they're freaking out. We might die. Their faith had been misplaced. Their faith had been misplaced. Maybe it was the faith in their their prowess as sailors or fishermen that they had when they went out on the water to start that journey. How about you? What ability do you have that maybe you have placed even maybe a bit too much faith in? Maybe that was them. Maybe it was their faith in their past experiences on the sea. Hey, we've always handled this sea. We're going to be able to handle this sea. This storm's going to die down. We've got this. Then all of a sudden they realize we don't got this. Our past isn't going to bring us through. How about you? I've handled this in the past on my own. I'll, I'll be fine. We've done it in the past. I'll be fine. Maybe for them it was a misplaced faith upon a God that they thought, they, they believed in, that wouldn't let people go through stuff like that. That's probably more than likely what was happening. How about you? God doesn't let hard things happen to those he loves. Maybe that's where they had placed their misplaced faith. But what if that was, what if that was the very thing Jesus wanted them to question and discover? Their faith may be in a false picture of God. What if that is what God is teaching us today and teaching you today? That God does allow those he loves to go through hard stuff. I know that's hard for us to hear. But what if that is the very thing he was wanting to teach them and us today? And I think that's actually the case. Why? Because they're more terrified after the calms, after the storm calms. They're more terrified after 
than before. Did you catch that there? They're very afraid after the storm calms. I think they'd be like, oh, and jumping, yeah, jumping up and down and cheering. We're saved, giving each other hugs and high fives. And they're, t- they're more afraid after the storm. And I think some of their thoughts might have been, wait a minute. If a storm I can't control scares me, what of a God who lets things happen to me that I didn't plan? Or things that happen to me that I don't even understand? Who is this man? They respond. Here's the difference, though. A storm doesn't love you. This God does. A storm doesn't love you. It's impersonal. This God loves you. The fact is, those disciples were in the safest, best possible place they could be in all the world at that moment, in that boat with the Son of God, God Himself. They were in the best possible place they could be. There was no safer place on the planet than right in that boat, even though it didn't feel like it, even though it didn't look like it. Here's what Tim Keller says about this. It's a two-slide quote. It's a little long, but it's worth it. If Jesus is God, then he's got to be great enough to have some reasons to let you go through things you can't understand. His power is unbounded, but so are his wisdom and love. Nature, the storm here, is indifferent to you. But Jesus, he's filled with an untamable love for you. If the disciples had really known that Jesus loved them, if they'd understood that he's both powerful and loving, they would not have been scared. If you have a God great enough and powerful enough to be mad at because he doesn't stop your suffering, you also have a God who's great enough and powerful enough to have reasons that you can't understand. You can't have it both ways, he says. See what he's saying there? If he's powerful enough to be able to be mad at because he doesn't stop it and, and make it stop, he also can be loving enough and wise enough to probably have some reasons that we can't see. It's hard. But just because we go through the middle of a storm and I can't figure out a reason why doesn't mean there couldn't be one. And you may not see it throughout this life. But if he's powerful enough to be able to stop it and he also has a love for us that's overwhelming, then maybe there's just something that he has. Some reason for allowing it. That's what he's saying. You can't have it both ways. God loves us too much to just be in the business of giving us a comfortable life. Sometimes that's all I want. But he loves us too much to just give us a comfortable life. He wants to give us himself. That's what he wants. He wants to give us his actual self, which is actually so much better and so much more rewarding. Could he have reasons? As an all-powerful God, and all loving God that we can't see. Yes, absolutely. The problem is we put our faith, we misplace it, we put it in so many other things and trust so many other things, not in this big picture, sovereign picture of a loving God. And that's what Jesus wants them to see in that boat, who he is. So when suffering comes then, what do we happen when our faith is misplaced or put in other, on other things? or other people, or other stuff, we lash out. It's you. It's you. It's you. It's you. It's your fault, spouse. 
It's your fault, son. It's your fault, daughter. It's your fault, friend. It's your fault, boss. Or, or it's your fault, God. We lash out when it's misplaced. Because it couldn't be, right? It couldn't be that the problem might be me. Isn't that how we think sometimes? I do. And my misplaced faith. Or sometimes a, a, a doubt in God's goodness and power. It doesn't mean we don't actually feel real suffering and should and, 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 and feel the emotions that come with it. God doesn't want us to be stoics. That's not what he's asking the disciples here. But he's asking them to, and giving them the resources to wrestle with real fear and the real suffering of life that comes to every one of us. He's giving them himself. So let's go to it. It's, it leads to us our, fir- our third and final tr- uh, fact or truth of storm theology. Jesus directs them. He re- redirects our faith to himself. That's what he's doing here. And in so doing, reminds us of three important facets of our faith. Our faith. Let's pick it up in 39 and read to the end of the passage, 41. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and sea and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. There it is, great fear. And said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Jesus is actually gracious here. Really gracious. Here the disciples are panicking. A, you know, wave slaps Peter across the face. You know, he goes sliding across the deck. Uh, the wind is so loud and the waves they can barely hear themselves as they're screaming, you bail over there, you bail over there. Throw this off deck, throw that overboard. Get rid of this and that. Jesus could have been irate and probably would have been justified in being angry. What are you doing, guys? What are you thinking? Come on. But he's so gracious. He says, no. All right, guys, let me show them who I am, really. Let me reveal a bit more of myself to them. Let me redirect their faith to me, he says. Because it's been misplaced. Let me give them more of myself, he says. That's, isn't that grace? Isn't that the definition of grace? Do they deserve it in that moment? No. But he gives them a, the, probably the clearest picture any humans have ever had, one of the clearest pictures of his power, his divinity. You know, Colossians says of Jesus this, for by him, it's coming up on the screen, Colossians 1, 16 to 17, for by him all things were created. This is Jesus, speaking of Jesus. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's Jesus now, the one who created. And now they're in this boat. And the one who made the wind and waves, now speaks to the wind and waves, and they recognize his voice a second time. They hear his voice again, and they obey. Be still, he says. Same words he used to rebuke the demon earlier in Mark. Be still. And it was as if, as if a great hand just came and pushed down the waves and pushed down the swells of water, and it instantly stopped. Can you imagine that? instantly stopped. Whether you were in that boat with them or one of the boats following, you're beside yourself. 
You never see anything like that. What would it look like for wind and waves to instantly stop? I mean, if you think about a normal storm, when the wind dies down, doesn't it still take a a while? You still got white caps, don't you? And the water still, even when it's totally calm, the water is still all, you know, uh, riled up and and stirred up. You know, my kids on Memorial Day were in a a kiddie pool, and even them walking around trying to make a whirlpool, after they stopped, it took a while for the water to finally die down. That's not what happened here. What happened here is not only did the wind instantly stop, but the water instantly went calm. Imagine that. Waves to calm. It's incredible. What would that look like to see? Here's what it looks like. Who then is this? Who then is this standing in front of us? That's the response. That's what it looks like. Jesus puts on display there, in the middle of just being asleep in the boat now as a human, he puts on display at the very same time his absolutely full divinity, his godness, his power. You are standing in the boat with God, he says to them. You're standing in the boat with God. And so are we, though. So are you. Creator, Colossians. Sustainer, that Colossians passage. Savior, the cross, and King. So are you. It wasn't just the disciples. We're standing in the boat with God. God. And when we see that, that this one is God, the one that our faith unites us to, we can be in the middle of what looks like a Category 5 on the surface, and we're still safe in His hands. We're still safe in His hands. You can be sure He's up to something in that storm, and it's not just random. You can be sure of that. We've got this story in, in Mark. So then, when you have fear, when you, when, when you have anxiety and worry, here's three things to remember that Jesus points to the disciples. So here's the first one. Remember this, it's not the strength of our faith, but the object of our faith that saves. We've got to remember this one. Because we do have moments and seasons where our faith feels strong. We have moments where it feels a little weaker. We have moments of anxiety and doubt, don't you? It's okay to admit that as Christians. We have those moments. We are still human. And here's why we can admit it. Because you're not saved by the, even the strength of your faith. You're saved by the object of your faith. Jesus asked them in verse 40, Have you still no faith? Which is a mild rebuke. It is. But it could be translated. Technically it's translated. What he's asking them is, What is your faith in? What is your faith in? Remember the misplaced faith? He's asking them, What's your faith in? What is it your, was it your ability? Your skills? Some view that God, uh, that God believes, he, uh, we believe God doesn't allow those he loves to suffer. What is it, disciples? He's asking them. What is your faith in? And the rebuke's not to shame them. It's not to shame them for not having enough faith, but to point them to remember that it's not even the strength of our faith. Yes, we're saved through faith. But it's not even the strength of our faith that saves us. It's the object of our faith that saves us. And that object was in the boat, and that's Jesus. He's the one who saves us. It's Jesus. It's very comforting. Because you can know that even in those moments where you are struggling, you're safe in his hands. 
Because he's the one who saves. Of course you look at it and the disciples felt afraid. They're not stronger than the waves, are they? Of course I felt afraid when I dropped the board. I was weak and the ocean is strong. Of course you have times when you feel weak in faith. And those are the moments when you tell yourself, even if my faith feels like a kernel right now, a mustard seed, my faith is in the one who's truly faithful. That's what you tell yourself. The object of my faith. You go back to him. That's what he was doing in the boat. He's pointing them back to himself. We were hiking in Yosemite as kids. It's a near-death stories today. It fits, I guess. We were hiking out of one of the paths uh, that gets, there's some paths in Yosemite that get actually really steep pretty quickly. It might have been near Half Dome or Backside, I think you can hike up. And it got real steep, and then it became a place where it dropped off really sharp. And we were young. I think I was sixth grade. My other brother, my youngest brother was probably second grade then or so. We got to one of those places where it, it dropped off, and I remember watching my younger brother in front of me. And he slipped. And he went sliding towards the edge of a cliff that he would have he been gone. And there was a railing there, of course, because it had become a place that was very steep. And he grabbed onto it as he was going kind of under it, grabbed onto it, and held himself from slipping. I remember that pretty clear as day. You know, he didn't have much time in that moment to assess the strength of his faith in that railing, did he? No, he just, he just grabbed it and held on to it for dear life. He didn't have to have in that moment the best feelings about that railing. He had some. You know, it was there for a reason. And he realized even in that moment, grab the railing. He grabbed it. He didn't have to have 100% perfect faith in that moment that the railing was going to save him and that it would save him. The railing did the saving. Christ is like that. We grab him because he's the Savior. We grab him because he's, he is 100% certain. That's what we do. We grab on to him even in those moments where we're struggling. Because he's stronger than a little railing. He's God in the boat. We grab on to him. He's the object of our faith. The quality of your faith does not save you. Jesus does. Jesus does. Christ alone is Savior from start to finish. That's the first thing we have to remember. doesn't mean God wants to re- us to resign to have weak faith. doesn't mean that. Hear that today. doesn't mean God just wants us to, that we should always just stay weak faith. No, we'll grow as Christians. You will grow. And if you're not, go back to the object of your faith. See what it is. But he does want us to know that he is the Savior. He gave the disciples an example of why they could have faith in Him. So remember that. Here's the second one. Remember, faith is a gift. So ask for it. If your faith is weak today, or if you have been searching Christ and have not come to trust Him, and you're wondering, I just can't quite get there, ask Him. Faith is a gift. So ask for it. Is your faith weak? Ask for more. When was the last time you asked God for that? Give me more faith. Give me more faith. Are you here today saying, I've been wrestling with Christianity, but I can't quite believe it? Did you have you asked God to give you that faith? Jesus is the one who gives faith, so ask for it. Be like this. Be like the father of the demon-possessed boy in Mark who said, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. But it also means this too. If you've come to trust Christ, 
if you do have a faith in him, if faith is a gift, you and I can't look down and shouldn't look down on those who don't have faith. As if our belief was something we kind of manufactured ourselves. If it's a gift. Look at Ephesians says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. The grace and faith you have is a gift. Yes, you exercise the real will. And it is something coming from inside of you, but it is a gift. It's a gift. And may that make us the most humble people on the planet. May it do that for us. And gracious as we interact with those that don't have faith. Well, if we were to stop here today, we got one more thing to remember. It would be a little bit oversimplified. Hey, if you're facing death, just believe in Jesus and, you know, you can be calm. I mean, what Jesus asks them, you might, you might be thinking right now, this sounds impossible. And it sounds impossible that the disciples could do that in the middle of that storm, even though Jesus seems to imply that it's possible. We can't just stop there. If I believe in Jesus a little more, you'll be good. We can't stop there. And if you find yourself, and you will, in storms in the future that are going to cause doubt, what do you do? The final thing Mark wants us to see and remember, we know something the disciples don't even know. Remember this. Jesus calming the ultimate storm, God's judgment. Jesus calming the ultimate storm of God's judgment. Disciples didn't even have this. We have this. I was with the staff this week when we were reading the passage together in our staff meeting, which we normally do each week and talk about it and talk about ideas that the passage sparked for us. And, and, and David said this week as we were reading through it, he said, you know what? This passage sounds just like Jonah. I said, oh, that's interesting, David. Went to open all my commentaries this week and everyone said, this passage is supposed to remind you of Jonah. Okay. Sure enough, the language of Mark's account here is almost identical, almost identical to the story of Jonah in the boat in the storm. It's almost identical. If you open your Old Testament, hundreds and hundreds of years before this, Mark writes this, and he almost writes it word for word to Jonah in the storm. What, what similarities? Jesus and Jonah, both in the boat. The storms are both described almost exactly the same way a great wind arose. Jesus and Jonah, they're both, remember, asleep in the storm. In both stories, the sailors run and shake the man. Hey, we're going to die. Wake up. In both stories, a divine intervention calms both storms. In both stories, the sailors are more terrified after the calming than before. You remember what Jonah said to them? Here was the divine moment. He said to them in Jonah verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 12. You see it coming up. Jonah said, Pick me up. <laughs> there it is. Pick me up, he said. Jonah said, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. And so they hurled him into the sea. And that's where you should go, Wait a minute. But they didn't do that to Jesus. 
Lest you, kept reading the, lest you keep reading the gospel story. Unless you keep reading the gospel story. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 12, someone or something greater than Jonah is here. Someone or something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is saying to his disciples, and Mark wants us to look forward to the fact that Jesus would be thrown into a storm. But not a storm of waves. It would be the storm of God's wrath for you. That's what Mark wants you to see. He wrote it so closely to Jonah, there's got to be some connection there. To the fact that Jesus would be thrown into the storm and fury of God's wrath for us. He would face the ultimate trials of sin and death, waves that you could never accomplish or get over or under or through for you. That's what he would do. He would calm the ultimate storm. The, storm that, the only storm actually that ever really truly could sink you. He calms at the cross. That's what he does. Jesus endured that storm for you. They didn't throw him over right then. But a few weeks later, they threw him over, didn't they? Crucify him. Crucify him. Throw him overboard. Get rid of him. That was the very thing that saved us. So when you're tempted to say, God, where are you? God, are you asleep in the stern of the boat? God, do you love me? Think of this table right here right here, and what we're doing, and what it represents. That's the storm theology you need, and I, you and I need. This, that this points to the fact of a Savior who is not only all-powerful, stops the storms, but all-loving because the storms he defeated were sin and death. That's what this table does for us. It brings us again back to the inside of the boat. This is our picture today. This is our picture today of Jesus saying, be still. You can have peace with me. That's what this is. And so what I want us to do is, I want us to take a few moments and contemplate that. And take a few moments, and maybe this is a time for you to repent and come back to the Lord from this week and go, Lord, I have have misplaced faith. I've been over here. I've reacted this way. I've done this. And recenter, reorient, redirect as he did in the boat. Redirect to this, again, the cross. That's what we get to do now. If you're someone who hasn't trusted Jesus Christ today, this is not to offend by any means. But God does say, it doesn't quite make sense to take of this meal unless you've truly trusted Jesus. Nobody's going to be looking down the aisle today to see who takes it and who doesn't. So I encourage you to let it pass. It's okay. Use that time to ask God for faith. He's the one who gives it. So use that time. And for the rest of us, let's all spend a moment just in quiet contemplation as the worship band plays some music.